0: It was very shameful to have mental health problems. So I didn't utilize the help that I should've or could've. I didn't tell anyone that I was going to a psychologist. I even was trying to pay for it in cash so that my husband didn't know that I was going to the psychologist. I was hiding it from everybody. I was this person that just kept going and didn't stop. And everyone thought, oh wow, she's really awesome. But I really wasn't. I'm Teresa
1: Hudson, the coordinator of the Community Information Centre in Townsville, and I'm talking with Karoo McKee in this episode of Brave. Karoo is the owner and manager of the Townsville chapter of Kanga Training. Her journey to her current position involves a tough battle against postnatal depression. I thought Karoo's story would actually make me cry today, but the way she talks about where she's been and where she is now is so forthright and energetic that it leaves little room for sorrow. However, if any topics in this conversation raise issues for you, please know support is available via the contacts listed in the description of this episode. The Townsville Community Information Centre acknowledges and pays respect to the Woogaroogaba and Bindal people, the traditional custodians of the lands where this podcast episode was produced.
0: Kuru, thank you for joining me. Thank you for having me. What is Kanga training? Kanga training is a postnatal fitness um, dance class. So we have babies that are in carriers and we do- Hence the word Kanga. Yeah, exactly. It's from um, Kanga from Winnie the Pooh that she carries Joey around. So we have embraced that and designed a postnatal fitness class, specifically postnatal. So it's very safe for that returning to fitness that it's gentle, low impact, all of that stuff Um, for mums to get themselves back into just getting out of the house or getting into some routine with baby. Um, yeah, and that's what Kanga Training is.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: So did you um, build this business up yourself or is it a franchise? It's or? actually an international business right. um, that was made about 12 years ago. It's called a license. So we're licensed to a particular area. So I'm licensed to Townsville and I can service or the mums at Townsville, but <laughs> so you still have a support, a community of support around you within your business. Yes, with having yeah, yeah. that support and and um, through Australia. How many licensees are there in Australia? Um, I believe about 100 and 150. A lot of them are in Melbourne, Brisbane, Sydney, but then you get ones that are in like um, Wagga Wagga and things like that that are out bush of New South Wales. And then there's me. I'm so far one of the f- few ones that are out in nowhere, yeah, (laughs) out of the city. (laughs) So
1: apart from having a baby, what else do you need to attend a Kenga training class?
0: Um, not really anything else. We do have specific carriers that you do need, but most of the bigger brands are ones that we compliant to us. But if they're not, I've got heaps that you can hire. So you just need a baby, And then I've even got some mums that don't come with their babies. So because it's such a postnatal workout, people that have prolapse or pelvic floor problems or abdominal separation, they come along when their kids are in daycare because they've just realised that they've got a four centimetre gap in their abdominal separation and went, oh, I can't go to a hit class or I can't go to those high impact classes and I shouldn't probably go to them until I build up that strength a little bit more. Yeah. So what got you
1: into... Kanga training and doing fitness this way like were you into fitness prior or?
0: i have been a dancer since i was six so dancing sort of been my happy place but sort of stopped having doing it when i had my kids as most as people you do, do as you, give... you do you stop doing all those fun things that you yeah you give a lot of yourself away
1: once you have children
0: um so i had postnatal depression with my first and my second child but by the time I had my second child, because I had my first, I needed something to access that could keep um, my baby close to me while I chased after him. So I found the baby wearing world. Then I discovered Kanga training that I could go out and dance and baby wear, which was just like the ultimate solution to <laughs> my postnatal depression, which it was trying to do something that was fun for me, plus not leaving my baby. It, it worked really well for my circumstance. And so then um, it was owned by someone else here in Townsville at the time and she uh, was looking for someone to take over the business and I'm like, yes, I can do this. This will give me some purpose, this will give me some drive and, yeah, four years later, I'm still here. There you go. <laughs> what role were you doing prior to children and... So and I'm a teacher. teacher. Yeah, so I'm a primary school teacher but I have an early childhood specialisation. So I love kids from, like, that five- to eight-year-old mark. So going on maternity leave from teaching, did you have intentions of going back to teaching? Um, I've gone back uh, last year at one day a week just to give myself some skills level. And then next year I need to go back as well for a little bit of time. But yeah. yeah. So you
1: mentioned postnatal depression with your first child. What was that like for you? Talk me through that. Is it a process? Is it, it's not even a journey.
0: What is it? <laughs> it is a journey in a way. Um, it's So with my first child, I didn't know what was going on. I just didn't know what I didn't know. Um, I, when you say you didn't know, like in terms of what? Like you couldn't – what was going on for you? So with him, it's been with reflection that I've worked out why I was – what I was doing. But in the moment, I spent a lot of time – watching his sleeping monitor it had a little pendulum on it that showed that he was moving or that he was breathing I would spend most of my time focusing on that um, not sleeping not eating if he'd go to bed I would spend most of the time like looking in his door going oh, yeah, he's still breathing I'd go over there and touch him like it was obsessive that he was still alive mm. um, I have close friends who have had stillborns And I've had a close friend who had – my aunt also had a um, baby die of SIDS. So I've now gone in reflection going, well, that's probably what was going through my head, that babies die, babies die, babies die. And I'm like, that's – now I know more. I'm like, that's not the case. That's not what happens. But that's what I was fearing the whole time. I just feared that something was going to happen to him Mm. and I just didn't let him go.
1: (laughs) mm. I know with my first child um – She slept through for the first time at six weeks of age, and by that stage you're that fatigued and you're that tired that I woke up with the most utter big fright in the morning and sat up in bed, and I remember going to her bedroom door and just sitting there crying, and my husband come in and he said like come out he said what are you doing, and I said she hasn't woken up and I don't want to go in the room. Mm And um, and he said, why? And I said, because I don't want to go in and find, you know, same. So my head went to that space. So I
0: relate to what you're saying. It's, um, I became obsessive with it as well. We'd get frights as well because we had motion sensor pads underneath his bed, which that's what the baby monitors do. But if he'd move off it, it would say that he wasn't moving. And, oh, that would send adrenaline. That would send everything through my body in the middle of the night. You'd get this alarm going off. And you'd be racing and going, oh, he's just like curled up in the end of his bed instead of <laughs> <sleep>. <laughs> instead of in the middle. It's okay. <laughs>
1: <laughs> so what did you do to, to work through that? Because now you've just created a massive big anxiety within oh, yourself. Massive.
0: Yeah. So I didn't realize how much that was affecting me until he was about eight months old. Um, he was, you're right. He was the kid that slept through the night from six weeks and I didn't have to be with him all the time, which just drove me nuts as well that I didn't have this child that had to be with me. So at eight months, he started waking up because that's generally what babies do around eight months is they wake up a little bit more, but he started waking up a lot. So it was a big waking up moment for me. So I found out later that sleeping or sleeplessness is a massive trigger for me. And I was crying a lot. I didn't want to play with him. I didn't want to be with him. So I would do what I needed to do for him but then I would withdraw and I remember saying to the psychologist at the time uh, I had gone to a doctor and the doctor said "Ah, oh, there is something going on here if you can't uncontrollably cry and you can't find joy in what you're doing or anything like that maybe you need to go and speak to someone so I went and saw a psychologist and I was describing to her and I still remember it now my baby doesn't want me is what I said to her <laughs> she's like He's, he does he needs you and I said, but he doesn't. He just plays on the floor by himself. He doesn't need me. <laughs> no, yeah, I was just in a not in a good position. But that's what I thought. I just had this, yeah, I had created in my brain that this scenario that he didn't need me and I didn't need him. I worked through that and with with the psychologist, just understanding that um, social the circle of security, she worked with me and just went, they will go away, but they will come back when they need you. And he was just that typical child. He was that typical child that he would go away and then he would come back when he needed it. And just understanding that um, made it a whole lot better for me. You just
1: mentioned the circle of security and... Um, for any parent listening today, if they have never heard of that, I would highly recommend they go Absolutely. and look it up. I my background is early education, and we use the circle of security a lot, and used to have those conversations with parents about um, the circle of security in their child. So yeah, but
0: it was probably it's not something that was very prevalent. This is now eight years ago. It probably wasn't it wasn't a very done thing or known thing back then that the kid would go away and then come back again, and you needed to be there when they acknowledged that um so I had came over that mountain with him and sort of started liking liking his company and understanding that I was there for him again Um, at eight months as well he started feeding a lot more but they do like now that I know more they do that (laughs) they're allowed to do that but it was just not knowing what I didn't know put me into a, oh, I mustn't be feeding him enough. But it was just that they go through so many changes around that eight months to 12 months. They're learning to roll. they're learning to crawl, they're learning to walk, all within a matter of six months. Even from the get-go, there's so many changes in terms of you get to the
1: six-week mark and... You're like, okay, we've got this. And they go through a growth spurt at six weeks where they just feed and scream. Mm. And it's like, oh, my God. And then you get over that and then they hit you again.
0: Yeah, yeah. exactly. And see, we'd probably had a very smooth transition with him because, yes, he would cry, but it was when he was in pain or when he was teething. Like there was always a reason. Like there wasn't a lot of um, unknowns with him. So at eight months when it was just not sleeping and it was crying non-stop and it was feeding non-stop it was oh my goodness what has just happened i've broken my (laughs) child my child is broken (laughs) um but just understanding that coming back to the understanding of it's okay there's a big variation of normal and he's in there and once we got to about 13 months and he walked (laughs) everything just got easier and I started enjoying him a lot more, enjoying taking him places a lot more um, and being myself. And I think just that being able to be myself again sort of opened that door up to, oh, I can do this. So you mentioned you visited a psychologist through that, that phase
1: of your life. What else did you utilise around you for supports?
0: With him, it was very shameful to have mental health problems. So I didn't utilise the help that I should have, um, but being going to the psychologist a few times just helped me become How aware. open were you with going to the psychologist? Like, did hey, you tell anyone you were going? No, no, I didn't tell anyone that I was going to a psychologist. I didn't, I even was trying to pay for it in cash so that my husband didn't know that I was going to the psychologist. Um, I was hiding it from everybody. Nobody, nobody knew. I was this person that just kept going. And didn't stop, and everyone thought, "Oh wow, she's really awesome." But I really wasn't. I always describe it to um, my clients now. I was this duck that was perfection on top and completely struggling underneath. (laughs) That's
1: most (laughs) mums, isn't it? (laughs) it,
0: But that's the thing: is I didn't know that. Yeah. I didn't know that, and I thought that what I was feeling was wrong, and I was failing. But now I know I'm like, no, everyone else is feeling the same way. And did you go to any mother's groups or anything with no. your newborn? I Not with him, no. I feared going because I feared judgment. Yeah, <laughs> so that's where
1: I was going with that in terms of there's always one in a group who's like, oh, I'm nailing this. My child is amazing. And then you've got the rest of the groups and they go, uh-huh.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: <laughs> and, and yeah, absolutely basket cases, but too scared to say it because mm-hmm. this one person in the group is nailing it.
0: I did find, and that probably coincides with my mental health getting a whole lot better, I did find the Australian Breastfeeding Association when he was about 13 months old and went to one of their groups. And this particular topic that I went to was about caesareans and birth, but I had rung them and they're like, no, it doesn't matter whether you've had a caesarean or not. So there was three of us there. There was a counsellor, me and another girl. And we've all just come and the counsellors then started and gone, okay, so the topic today is about caesareans. So who's had a caesarean or what do you you feel about caesarean? I'm like... I didn't have one and then the other lady goes well I didn't have one either I'm just here for talking as well and we're like okay right ready we'll just talk yeah, that, changed the topic. <laughs> that just completely changed the topic and that's when I found acceptance of oh we can just talk and it was in a in the um child youth meth- mental health building so I could let go of my child and he could go and crawl and go and play with the other kids and I could sit there and not have to have him on me or um, yeah, being stressed about where he was going, yeah, that was the the tipping moment that I started to go and see other people and normalise the behaviours of babies. Mm. So you settled into life then by the sounds yes. of it and then you decided to have another child. <laughs> yeah, yeah.
1: <laughs> <laughs> and so you mentioned earlier that um, postnatal depression came back with your
0: second child as well. What was that like the second time The around? second time round, I was very aware of my mental state. Um, I knew what was happening a lot, lot earlier. Uh, I was Googling a lot more from about two weeks postpartum. I could feel a cloud in my head and and it just felt like a massive fog was over my head. She was a kid that never slept fed constantly, didn't want to be off me. So the complete opposite of my first child. Um, And she fed constantly and didn't want to be off me ever, didn't want to go to anyone else. And I could just feel this heavy cloud over my head at about two weeks. I'm like, I need to do something. Again, didn't tell anybody, but started Googling postnatal depression. What can I do about it? Who can I see? Where do I need to go? So what you can do about it to what, deal with it yourself again? Yes, yeah, yeah. It was very much hidden again. I got onto a program called the Mummy Mood Booster Program. So I did... A hybrid of the program, which was speaking to a psychologist once a week on the phone and doing an online program to work out. So every week was different modules. They would go walk you through things like finding enjoyment. So what do you enjoy? Why? Why do we do things that we do enjoy? Can we do those things once a day? Um, I remember them making me make a list: five things that I like to do, five things that I like to do with my baby five things that I like to do with my family, five things I like to do with my husband. Um, and then I think it was five was things. Was that a lot? It was. It was. It was a lot in my head. Because going, if you oh my said lord! To me,
1: give me five things you like to do in that moment. Like, and I know as when I was a new mum, I was completely lost. Yeah, as exactly. To what, are the, what are the five things I like to do on my own? Life. But
0: why they were making us make so many was so that you could choose. Okay, well, I'm just going to do one of them. It, like that made it a tick box. So you would name. There was about thirty things that we ended up naming, but you would sit there and go, okay, well, I did. I did one thing. I went for a walk today. And you found success in going, yeah, I did that. I, I achieved something today. <laughs> I got to wash my hair today. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. And like, that was the thing. Like It was very – like she said don't – I remember the psychologist saying don't overthink those five things that you like to do or the five things you like to do with your baby. It could be that you like to drink a hot cup of tea. And that was one of my five things was that I just want to sit down and have a cup of tea. So if I did that in the day, tick box, I did that. Well done. Yeah, nice. Nailed (laughs) it. Nailed it. Nailing life.
1: Living the dream. (laughs)
0: Um, And I actually made it, and I I say this to my clients all the time, is making it a a priority to do your enjoyment things. Even if you do have a baby, bring the baby with you. Or doing it when – make it a priority before you do your housework, before you do something with your husband. Do your thing first if you go and have your cup of tea, you're guaranteed to have done your job for the day. If you do everything else, that's a bonus. And that's when I started doing that with Mummy Mood Booster and just prioritising those five fun things. That's when I started flipping and going, I I can do this. And so then when she was about three months old, I started Kanga training. And that was the epitome of everything that I needed because dance was one of my fun things or just getting out and moving my body was one of those fun things not being not being forced to leave my baby so um doing kanga training I could bring my baby and get the fitness and get the endorphins and get the social aspect as well that I was around other mums um it ticked so many boxes that yeah, it was something that I went, okay, I can do this and then mm. I can take it over. <laughs> because a lot
1: of when you're a new mum or you have a bub, a new bub, you go to play groups. Yes. Yeah. And that things that are centralised around the child. But for kanga training, it's centralised around the mum.
0: Absolutely, yeah. And that's, um, that's what we, the mums do comment on is that there is so much for babies. And they're all well and good. There is also a mum that's created when you have give birth as well. And that mum needs nurturing um, in a community as well. So I say that to my clients all the time when they compliment me and they go, oh, you've created such a great community. I'm like, yeah, create it for me. It, it, yeah, I want to fill my cup. Yeah, <laughs> it's completely for me. <laughs> <laughs> nice. So... And it
1: does. It sounds like you've got a beautiful, wonderful, supportive community that you've created and for like-minded mums. Yes. Um, Every mum. It would have to be a statistic that every mum goes through a challenging time. Absolutely. um, As a new mum, whether it's your first, second or your third child. But, um, yeah, so the community you've created for mums and around supporting them and having something different mm-hmm. and you don't
0: actually it just sounds like you don't have to be a fitness person to go along to one of these classes absolutely not no I you just have to be you um it's it is a dance-based fitness class but an, I encourage individual solos most of the time yeah. <laughs> if you want to rock it out in the corner that is fine by me um, I say to my mums, usually when I when we first start a class, I'm like, you've made it out of the house today. Tick box. Yeah. Well done. Because that's all I want them to do is to be able to create a routine, to get themselves out, to prioritise themselves um, and have fun. So your business been going for four years. Mm. It survived through the Townsville floods. Was it impacted by the floods at all? Um, we weren't impacted by the floods because at that stage our studio was a garbage. But the impact that we felt was that And it sounds really bad, but people prioritised their money because they'd lost so many things. They just weren't prioritising the money to themselves or to fitness or to things like that, which is very understandable. But, yeah, I'm a business. That's right. right. I'm in business to make money. So what did COVID do for you then? COVID Um, wasn't actually as bad as what the Townsville floods did for me. Um, COVID, we just went online. And because everyone else was at home it was really, really good that mums were able to prioritize themselves at home and access our program at home. So for the month of March and April, mums were able to access Kanga training four days a week. And I would just do it every single day at nine o'clock in the morning. I'm like, let's just do a Zoom session. And then like, if you can come to it, you can't come to it, that's fine, but it's there. Mums really liked it because it was just part of their routine. Then they said that they wouldn't have to change out of their pyjamas. They wouldn't have to drive somewhere with a screaming child. Like it was a matter of that they pulled their babies out of their beds and then just went and did the class with me and then would put them back in there. They, they found it really, really beneficial being at home. We didn't see the massive impact until things started opening up again. So in the um, late April and May when schools were going back, and restrictions started easing, people weren't stuck at home anymore. And that's when I found the impact is because they weren't at home and I couldn't open my business. So You still had to keep your doors closed. I still had to keep my doors closed. um, Because would you be considered a gym?
1: I was considered a gym, yeah. yeah.
0: And the only thing that I could do in May was outdoor classes, but they were capped at 10. But that 10, when they said 10, that actually included my babies and, and myself. So when and that's you... that's four people. Yeah, that was four people. Yeah. So it wasn't financially viable that I could run a class for four people. Right. And I petitioned the um, yeah, our local member and our state members just to give me a, an exemption so that my babies don't interact with each other they're attached to their mums and the mums are having to stay one and a half distance apart because that was what the restrictions were so how are the babies even an increased risk um, for COVID in that particular time and they did come around to it by the end of May I had a, a piece of paper saying that we've given you an exemption you can have 10 in your class babies don't count everything like that and then June happened and then they said that gyms could open up but to maximum of 20 and I'm like okay well this is fine I've already got the exemption that says that I can have 20 <laughs> I was I was happy with that but yeah so I've got that piece of paper there if it ever comes back again
1: were you able to maintain and keep your clientele at the beginning to the end
0: of no the year so last year?
1: um Given babies grow, I suppose, too.
0: Yeah, I do have a fairly high turnover of clients anyway because babies grow, people go back to work, they've only got sort of set times off work. Um, From the start of COVID, I had 30 clients. By the end of COVID, I had four. Um, In the June, um, to get them in to the end of that term, I had five clients in most of my classes. So that was about 15 clients. By the time we started back for the end of the year... I had about 20 to 25 clients, so I haven't quite reached numbers this term. I've just I've just put this on as a um, positive on our Kanga Training Australia website. Is that this term I finally hit numbers back to where I was pre-COVID? And I like I look at it like a lot of our counterparts are in Sydney and in Melbourne, and they're only just coming back. They've been online for the last two years, or on and offline for the last two years. And so I'm trying to give them hope. It will get there. It's just that it will take time because mums don't want to come out. They don't want to commit because something else might happen. Yeah. So it's I think living
1: in that fear of assumption again, isn't it?
0: But it's living in that fear of assumption. And but we're not even people that were affected by it. I yeah. feel so sorry, and my heart goes out to those people in Sydney and Melbourne that they are going to be fearing what's going to happen because mm. something else might happen again. Here we've been so incredibly lucky, but we still fear it correct we are so (laughs) goddamn lucky we have been
1: um let's talk about you and your husband when
0: did you meet we have been childhood friends since we were about eight or ten i used to dance with his sister so we used to dance together and so i used to go over to her house and her brother used to be there and we well used to play as you do um well we all grew up together and just being friends and I kept in contact with him when I moved away in grade seven um to Brisbane so we just kept in contact we actually used to email each other and then we used to phone each other as well sometimes he used to always come to the holidays um down the Gold Coast with his family because that's where the rest of his um extended family were so we really just kept in contact we started going out uh, when he was in grade 12 So, yeah, we both did uni in Brisbane and then he, um, when he finished his uni, because he was two years younger, so then he was staying there a bit longer, um, he got a job up here. So, this is where I am.
1: Nice.
0: Any plans to move or is Townsville home? No, Townsville's home now. It's just really kid-friendly for us and, of course, we've got the two, just bike tracks, being outdoors, everything just... I agree. It Goes into what we do.
1: We went to Jazine Barracks the other day, and that's um, great for bike riding for little know. kids. And then I seen the park there with all the spider webs over it and all the climbing, all the climbing equipment mm-hmm, with mm-hmm. the ropes, and mm-hmm. I went, "Oh my goodness!" I haven't my kids, and I haven't seen this one before. Like we'll do that this weekend. But I love how much free community access there is in towns mm, for absolutely. families and people. There's so many free things you can do. And take your families to and um, explore in towns. Yeah, I, that's
0: what I find. that. And like camping it. is only like just an hour away. You yeah. can go to awesome rainforest or desert camping or bush camping or beach camping. It's within an hour that you don't have to go that far.
1: No, I agree. There's so many resources and places here that you can take your children to and your children have
0: access to. But it's not – Townsville's just even a really great base as well. So, like, it is so close to Cairns or it is so close to Mackay that you can just take a weekend or – a couple of days and go and explore those outside areas as well. I know quite regularly I
1: jump on the boat with my children and yeah. we go and make, We can catch an early ferry over and we can be on a boat back home by lunchtime. It's like a hop, skiff and a jump over there and you've got so many, yeah, Yeah, it's just there's so much avenues
0: things. here for kids and, yeah, ours are now getting to the stage. They're not babies anymore. They are the ones that are exploring and the ones that are going bike riding and skateboarding and scooting and everything else that they want to go and see everything and it's just got everything here for us at the moment. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. <laughs> just doesn't have family. That's the one thing that we don't so have So no family here? No here. family here. Yeah. So, so what
1: do you do to rely on supports for your kids and your? Well, as I said, support. we've been
0: here for t- since 2008. So our friends have become our family because they've known us just as long as our family just about um yeah we've got a a close lot of friends that we rely on that babysit our kids when we need to do things and yeah it's just that our friends became our family up here
1: um i'm the same my best friend who her and i are um we do everything for each other to support each other hang on (laughs) we met at uh antenatal classes when we were pregnant Mm -hmm. and um and then at after we had the babies Mm -hmm. we walked in and we're like oh yeah yeah yeah, yeah, like, yeah and then we've been friends ever since and um yeah so i think um supports and services around people with no family oh. it's your friends and your fam it's your friends but it
0: townsville has to have that because we've got such a high um transient population due to the army and mm. other things as well that there is no family here for a lot of people. Mm. You have to rely on your family and friends and your community support. So, like, I'm a I'm a big supporter of a lot of my um, clients because I am their family. I'm the person that they're crying to. I'm the person that gives them a cuddle or holds their baby while they go to the toilet. Like, I become part of their family just by seeing them every week. <laughs> yeah, and those are so important.
1: Yeah, important absolutely. yeah, absolutely. Yeah,
0: absolutely thank you for
1: spending the no, morning with right. me and telling me your story. Thank you. Brave is jointly funded by the Commonwealth and Queensland governments under the Disaster Recovery Funding Arrangements. This podcast is produced by Damien Lawarden.